and welcome to DC Comics News Weekly Podcast. This is episode number 160. I am your host, Seth Singleton. I am joined by the brilliant Mr. Brad Felicki. Brad, how you doing, my friend? Hey, I'm doing good. Good. I I got two dogs um, intermittently licking paws and sort of like making snarbling noises. So if you see that, it's not me, and if it is me, then I have some sort of digestive issue. I'm trying to blame it on the dogs, but really, it's the dogs, I swear. All right, with that, uh, this is our episode number 160. It's actually the last episode of our current format. We, we've got some potential uh, game-changing possibilities in the future, and we're going to be like everyone sort of in that moment going, hey, we're going to take a little break while we figure some stuff out. And then get it sorted and come back to you with the all new, I'm sure improved and certainly interesting to see the comparison of what the new compared with the old looks like. So in the final episode of uh, this format, I'm uh, always grateful to have Brad here with me and to have an amazing list of stories put together by our editor in chief, Mr. Josh Rayner. And we're going to kick things off with our first movie story. That is that of Mr. Pierce Brosnan, who has shared a photo of Dr. Fate, San Helmet. Brad, what did you think about this one, my friend? You know, my I, I think my favorite thing about this picture is that, uh, you know, whenever I see Pierce Brosnan, it's always I feel like I'm looking at Pierce Brosnan. Even when he was James Bond, it was Pierce Brosnan. But this picture, I am looking at Dr. Fate. And... That is a real credit to I mean, you don't get you know, you don't get much taste of the costume, but the hair and everything. I I, I really think I'm looking at Dr. Fate, and not Pierce. So that is I, I think that was really cool. Uh, and he and he definitely looks the part. And uh, I, I always thought that Dr. Fate was a character that hasn't really got the respect that he deserves. Uh and I'm glad to see him kind of getting a little bit of the spotlight right now. Uh, what about you? I thought it was a cool picture. I definitely agree with you. It feels like he's really demonstrating himself in character. He's got kind of that wicked gleam in the eye. And, you know, like I, I know there's that whole idea of uh, there's the, you know, Dr. Fate, who's the Avatar Lord of Order combined with Naboo. And, of course, he's fighting chaos. But I, I kind of feel like if you mix too much with order or too much with chaos you're gonna have that kind of you know look in your eye that says that you've done that and he sort of reflects that look of like that's right maybe I've that's worn the helmet of naboo <laughs> yeah maybe that's why i feel like i'm looking at dr fate and not pierce Brosnan. good point mm-hmm. and he seems to be sort of eschewing what i always felt was the thing about Pierce Brosnan was, he was so ridiculously suave, debonair, good looking. I mean, I'm taking this all the way back to Remington Steel days, okay? So just to share my history. Um, <laughs> so for me, that was always Pierce Brosnan. What? Hello, Chippa. Mm. You know, just <laughs> extremely polished and, you know, to the point where you're like, please don't walk into a room when I'm single and there's single women because I will never get anywhere. Like, nothing will ever happen for me, ever. Uh I don't feel like that's the guy I'm looking at here. I definitely feel like I'm getting that sense of, yeah, maybe I, you know, was whatever when I was younger, depending on looks and what have you. But clearly right now I'm a I'm a character who has dealt with 
things few mortals can understand. And uh, <laughs> I think that makes for a lot of fun. I also feel like it, it lends something because I remember there's that great clip of him from the Black Adam trailer. And I, I felt like you really brought that gravitas of, you know, the idea of what the world can be and all of the great wonders that exist in it. And yeah, it's it's a good tease. Uh, I'll leave it at that. For me, it's a good tease, kind of tease I'd like. And um, because we're talking Black Adam and because we're talking teases, why not continue with the uh, motif, with the uh, story that Dwayne Johnson also shared a new look at him in his Black Adam costume. It's a behind the scenes, behind uh, the production photo. Brad, what do you think about this little sneak peek? Uh, you know, I, uh, I'm still processing it. I think overall I like it. Um, I, I, I dig, uh, I dig the boots. I'm still trying to figure out if I like the belt and the wristband things. I, I think I do. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it, it um, I, I like that this picture is in black and white. Uh, it gives it kind of like a like a i don't know like a cool cred uh but I, yeah I, I think overall I, I do like it i think maybe the belt's a little too big but overall i think it's a uh, a pretty cool costume and it is pretty true to the comics and you know i, I think no matter what uh you know dwayne the dwayne johnson's gonna make it his own and uh you know like you know we, we've always talked about you know how much enthusiasm he has for this character and even if there's certain aspects of the costume that you don't like, he's going to bring this character to life and you're going to forget about those small details. So, yeah, I, I think overall I, uh, I do like it. What about you? I really like it. I feel that there's some interesting ideas. I mean, one, when it comes to all the details you were just talking about, that's why we rely on you for the flicky <laughs> fashions inside view. Uh, <laughs> just giving us the breakdown. But I like that there's a really fun texture to it. You know, the, the, the Shazam costume has all of that bright, beautiful red glory. And this has more of a worn and tattered and strained material. Like, it's barely keeping him in. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's mm -hmm. like all that power would burst through the suit if it wasn't for just the suit barely containing him. I'm intrigued by the... Uh, the kind of wrist gauntlets that he's got going on. They, yeah. they, they remind me of how he, he always looked back on the fact that he started out from a very humble place. One in which in some versions he's like enslaved a prisoner um, or just destitute to a degree. So I feel like the version we're going to see of him is going to reference that something about the, those gauntlets. The boots are pretty intriguing. They feel very intense. Like they feel very um, like, dark side apocalyptic, you know, um, mm. <laughs> I get a, a real interesting vibe from that. The rest of it's really cool. It's interesting that it's, it's him and it looks like he's setting up to do like a shot in the air or something like he's standing on a crane and it looks like they're going to, to set him up for some kind yeah. of a scene. So it's interesting to see like that very stark modern environment, mm. um, surrounded by or surrounding him in the costume because it, it takes it out of context, but that's an interesting way to sort of look at because it, it's not being viewed like as part of a trailer or with the background from the movie or a still or something like that. So um, I'm interested in what you said about the belt, too. I want to see if that that has a, some other connection to something. 
similar to what I was thinking about with the gauntlets. So, yeah, I think it's a good teaser. It's going to raise a lot of questions. It's going to be a lot of fun. I love that The Rock is just constantly like his best press machine. You know, the fact that anytime yeah. he makes a post yeah. about it, everybody's like, look how cool it is. The Rock get a look. <laughs> and I think that that's really smart because – you know, that enthusiasm does come through when he does all that stuff, you know, and that I think that really does a lot to, you know, maybe people who aren't familiar with the character to pick their interests, uh, you know, and it certainly gets me more hyped for it just seeing him so excited about it. So, I, I yeah, think it's a smart move. It's it's definitely one where he knows that there might be fans that he's got from different things he's done. And I definitely think that he's bringing them along like, hey, you like what I've done so far? What do you see this passion project? I spent 10 years of my life investing in. <laughs> Trust me, you're going to dig this. Um, and if you're, you know, confident when creators are inspired and sharing their inspiration or just willing to say on their own social media, look what I'm doing. This should get you going. Well, then our next story is one you will enjoy. Uh, Misha Green is the writer of HBO Max's upcoming Black Canary solo movie, and some fan art is, quote-unquote, inspiring that project. Brad, what do you think about the uh, inspirational fan art? This is kind of a cool story because I, I like the idea that the guy who drew it, he recognized his art. And uh, she responded, yeah, that it's been a real inspiration for me while I write this. So I think that's that's really cool. Uh, you know, I just uh, there's just I, I feel like there's so much up in the air. And I think we talked about this last week. There's so much up in the air behind the scenes at Warner Brothers and what's going on that I, I just really I really hope this sees the light of day. Uh, I, I want to see what Misha Green does with the script. And I want to see uh, Journey Smollett come back as Black Canary. I think there's more to tell with that character. Uh, you know, I'm glad she's working on it. And, you know, Misha Green's hyping it on her social media. I just hope that that it really comes to fruition. Uh, you know, so once again, my fingers are crossed. But it's just a cool story for that artist to see his work you know right there in her writing binder of all things to inspire what she wants the vibe of the film to be so yeah that was that that was a, a really kind of a, a neat little story uh what about you i love this possibility of fan art um i i had a lot of fun there my lcs they carry sometimes posters and stuff created by local artists in the community and the san francisco bay area has a very thriving artist community um, all these different pockets from Oakland, Berkeley, San Francisco, so many different where you just got, you know, you could walk into somebody's apartment and something like, oh, my goodness, this is amazing art. What happened? Who are you? What's going on? <laughs> what are you doing? You know, why does no one know who you are? How are you not more famous? And he did a really cool uh, Prince Joker um, sort of combination as a fan art thing. And I remember I picked it up and loved it. And he had his Instagram stuff on there. So I took a picture of me trying to make the same pose as the art and then sharing it and tagging. And the person was like, oh, my goodness, you you loved my art. And I'm like, yeah, I know, you know, I'm just one person trying to share it. that. That was my experience with something like that, like getting to share someone's art and having them get a chance to see it. This is like that times 10 million. Like this is like somebody wildly famous saying, Yes, I, I took your art and I'm 
sharing it is something that's inspiring me while I'm working on a, a project that inspired you to create the art. Like that's, that's, you know, such an nth degree <laughs> of uh, exposure. And I love the idea of, of the response, you know, Hey, are you using my art? Is this amazing person doing that? Yeah, that's right. I choose you. You're my vibe. Like you've, and it's, it's a, it's a beautiful piece of art. Uh, it's a great story. And you did know, bring up an interesting point. There is a lot of uncertainty. We're going to get to that as we get into our later stories. But I am sort of encouraged by one thing, which is I feel like a lot of the uncertainty has to deal with relationships that Warner Brothers and uh, DC projects have had with other studios. But HBO Max has kind of become their Disney Plus. Like that's become yeah. their home. And I'm encouraged by that being like a route that doesn't seem to be getting muddied up by all of the uh, purchase negotiations contracts. You know, if a project was slated for HBO Max, it seems to have a through line. It's not set up in some way where I think it can be moved, as as we're seeing in some of the other stories we'll be talking about. The other thing I'm encouraged by is the uh, the projects Misha Green has already worked on. I didn't see Underground, but Lovecraft Lovecraft Country was yeah. it was such a good series. Uh, did you see it? Um, yes, I did. And I can't believe that was kind of canceled after one season. I mean, between, you know, the buzz on that was insane. People were talking about it on social media all the time. I could not yeah. believe. So I, I, you know, sometimes these, you know, I, I don't really get where these decisions are coming from, uh, you know, and, and I, you know, I, I would. I want to agree with you on the HBO Max thing, and I think that you are right. And I think that as we go, you know, in the next years ahead, I think that they're going to utilize that HBO Max, like you said, like a Disney Plus. You know, you know, we'll get the Batgirl movie. Yeah, although they're talking about releasing that in theaters now too, but things like that. But but then again, I get a little nervous because things like the Wonder Twins movie was canceled and i originally thought and correct me if i'm wrong but i originally thought that that was supposed to be an hbo max release as well so you know i you know i i uh, I, I think that, that we're definitely on the way to get there with hbo max but you know in the meantime i think there could still be some collateral damage i agree I I do think that you're right. I, I think we might have some more on that when we get to our later stories. But I, I do feel like it was something that was supposed to be HBO Max for the Wonder Twins movie. Um, I do feel that was a later date, too. So I'm wondering if maybe because this is something that had been announced some time back, if that's something that could keep it going. I also feel like there's that, you know, there's that <laughs> there's that great old quote. Well, I'll. You and I both know West Wing. Two things you never want to see people see you do: make laws and sausage. So yeah. I feel like this is one of those things where, like, it's yeah. behind the sausage making. Where it'd be better if people don't know what's going on, but it also leaves a lot of questions about what happened. This was something. What what happened? You know, and and that's all I'm left. <laughs> what happened? Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> so with that in mind, I'm. You know, I'm hopeful for the reasons that I'm hopeful, but I'm also going to keep in mind what uh, what you were just saying. Brad, it reminds me of someone I knew who was once like, yeah, I'm what they call a uh, optimistic realist. I look up at the beautiful sky and I love everything I'm seeing, but I keep glancing down because 
there's dog poop and other stuff I don't want to step in. And I'm a realist, and I'm going to look for that. So but it could also <laughs> be like money when you look down. So sure, yeah, you know. So I think there's a little bit of value in in both sometimes. So yeah, yeah. Sure, you know, yeah. be optimistic, be realistic, keep, keep your head in the clouds if you want, yeah. right? You know, but also <laughs> keep an eye because there could be dog poo, there could be money. You don't know what you're going to find, mm. <laughs> but it's worth paying attention. Shall we? With our final movie story, we have a little bit of a teaser, one that appears to poke some lighthearted fun at our friends, the Titans. It's a Teen Titans Go DC Superhero Girls crossover clip, and it is everything that you think of when you think adorable, at least me. Brad, did you think adorable when you saw it? Yeah, yeah. I got, you know, before seeing this clip, I thought, well, you know, I'll, I'll get to that, you know, at some point. I'm not going to – it's not going to be one of those things where I watch on necessarily the day it comes out, for instance. But with this clip, I think it's going to go more to the top of my list. I might watch it that first week. Uh, you know, I just I, – I enjoy the um, the self-deprecating humor but also kind of the self-aware humor, you know, that they're on a the show. They don't want to get canceled. And, you know, you have to have a good crossover. Yeah, but what if it's not a good crossover? Those kind of those kind of jokes, this for me, they work because as a comic fan, I kind of get where they're coming from. You know, I, I understand them. And that's just that's yeah, I think that's part of the reason why I liked uh, Teen Titans go to the movie is there was a lot of um, stuff thrown in there for like the true comic fans. So I think we're going to get that with this, too. So, yeah, I think uh, I think I'm definitely going to check this out. What about you? Yeah, I definitely see that happening. And I'm even, you know, conscientious. I just did my yeah re- response, um, which is my go to. Um, <laughs> I uh, I know that that this one was just a lot of adorable right from the beginning. And, and then, like you said, it brings up that great point. What about a crossover? It reminds me of when they did the. Uh, Family Guy Simpsons one and in the beginning uh, son Chris is like yeah crossovers are great they always make the best material and they're never a grab for ratings or (laughs) it's just that self-aware sort of like hey wait a minute a lot of that's true hold on Um, so there's a risk involved with how do you want to stay on and what are you willing to do to do it and does a crossover work better for you or them you know, whoever it is that you're doing the crossover with. So fun stuff on there. Um, and I love that opening mm-hmm. part. What are they going to do? Turn us into a gritty da-da-da-da-da? Because that's been done. Um, yeah. <laughs> so that kind of stuff was just yeah. adorable. Had a blast. Uh, and it's 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 the self-aware stuff that, yeah, as a fan of, of any sort of medium, when it's, when it's poking fun at itself and doing so with a wink-wink, nudge-nudge to the audience, uh, it's usually going to be a good time. And as you mentioned, for comic fans, there's all sorts of fun tropes to uh, enjoy. (laughs) And I'm definitely sure will be explored, if not outright exploited in the the upcoming one. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. What I am not looking forward to is our story leading off our TV and streaming news. This one kind of broke my heart. Um, And it's, it's. Part of the things that Brad and I were talking about earlier, we we're experiencing a lot of uncertainty with these stories. And this is one of the first, the announcement that the CW show Naomi has been canceled after its first season. Brad, what was your uh, what was your thoughts, my friend? Oh, man, this bums me out. I, I did enjoy the show, um, but I can't say 
uh, you know, I was hoping it wouldn't happen, but it didn't come as a shock to me because, you know, we were talking about buzz and how, you know, The Rock creates the buzz with Black Adam and things like that. But with this show, I didn't really see much of a buzz about it. I didn't really see a lot of people interacting with it or talking about it. And it's not because it was a bad show. I I think maybe the problem is, is that uh, there wasn't necessarily enough about the show that made it feel like something we hadn't seen before. Uh, You know, the, the source material is great. The character is great. There just wasn't enough to set it apart, especially in, uh, you know, a time when there is so much content out there that you really have to scream loud to be heard. And the show is just doing what it does really well, chugging in the background, but it couldn't just it couldn't just break apart from all this other stuff that is that it's grabbing for people's attention. Uh, it, it's kind of the one downside to being in the golden era of TV. You know, everybody says TV's never been better, and that's right. But there's also never been so much of it. So uh, it just bums me out that this got lost, uh, you know, lost in the shuffle. I was hoping for at least a second season. Uh, what about you? I was definitely hoping for a second season. I love this show. I mean, I love the Naomi series, so I was watching it and just going, okay, come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This has got to stick. And it has a great formula. It had a great presentation. It was um, regularly sort of shifting the narrative for what you thought you understood and therefore the character kind of understood. And that was a really fun development. You know, first is the idea of this this person who realizes they're not from here and they have powers. But then along the way, it's like, who do you trust and who do you know and what do you know? And and that was a really fun mystery. I thought they're doing a great job of unraveling. And I just watched the season finale and I was like, this is great. We're all set. Here comes season two. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> no, no, no. And it's it's a challenge. Yeah, man. You know, I I. Um... I was catching up a little bit on it today, actually. I I, I finished the the episode, uh, the prom episode, before the two-hour season nice. finale, or series finale. And it kind of, it bummed me out because when I would see, because it was on my DVR, so I saw the commercials. And as I was fast-forwarding to the commercials, they announced, oh, this is going to be the season finale. I'm thinking, oh, man, if only it was just a season finale, but it's not. It's right. the series finale, you know? So, yeah, it's just... It's uh, such a shame. Yeah, that that prom episode's another great example where, um, you know, they they reveal like two new power sets that they'd sort of, I mean, one of them, they never even suggested she had up until that point. And now she's got it. I was like, wow, wow, this is huge. What else can we explore? And I would like to think that's still possible because, well, we're going to, going to talk about some of those ideas as we move into our next stories because for all that we've reported so far or shared that's been reported um that there seems to be some confusion about what the future looks like Uh, keeping that in mind we're going to go ahead and move on to our next one in which we have some reports revealed about why batwoman and legends of tomorrow were canceled and it makes me think new things or at least consider new possibilities for other shows like Naomi that we were just talking about and, well, what the future could look like if there's even a future. 
Brad, what did you think about the reasons that were offered and do they change anything about what we've been talking about the last week or two? Well, I just, you know, I just makes me wish that that Warner Brothers could be more a better corporate parent of DC than they've been cuz sometimes so much it just seems like they don't I, I don't know if I'd go as far as to say they don't know what they're doing, but I think they get too caught up in the business side of it. And they they don't necessarily want to take certain risks. Um, and yeah, I, I just think that they get too caught up in the bean counting part of it. So they didn't want to pay the lease for where the shows are filmed. Uh, but... But looking ahead, like you were saying, the whole HBO Max thing, there's other ways to maneuver these shows to make maybe to make them more profitable if they are on the HBO Max and not on a network show and things like this. But they're not even giving that a chance. And I guess from a Legends of Tomorrow, I can understand that more because it's already been on for seven seasons. And the longer the show shows go on, it's just harder to maintain the quality and the fan appreciation. You really have to reinvent yourself. So, you know, you know, seven seasons, that's a while. So, uh, you know, I could almost say that, okay, it's been on a, a while, let it go. But Batwoman was just kind of hitting its stride. Um, it was in that one of those shows that was continuously getting better. And I think if they would have stuck it out, they would have seeing that it would be worth it to keep to keep it going to pay the lease on these buildings where this is getting filmed so yeah i just uh yeah it just i just don't know what warner brothers is doing sometimes it just, just bums me out what about you it it's frustrating to say the least and it's confusing because you know when you read the story then it's like well okay is it that you don't want to pay that studio uh space lease because so way back when i was like just fresh out of high school and maybe my yeah i think it was my second year out of high school and i'm putting myself through school i ended up getting a job at a now defunct circuit city and working in the warehouse because it was easy work for you know okay money and paid my bills but one of the things that was interesting was all the managers walked around and they wore these red coats it's like a red blazer and i remember someone asked once do you think they'll ever get rid of those red blazers? And another guy was like, no way, man. Are you kidding? They used to buy them from a place. And then once they got big enough, they bought the company so that they wouldn't have to pay as much for the jackets. And they're never getting rid of those jackets. Mm-hmm. And it was this whole idea of like, if you have something you're getting from somewhere else, why not bring it in so you can write off the expense of producing it as well as the cost of, you know, getting it to the rest of your staff. And I wonder if this is, I mean, my hope is that is there some way that there's a plan to have, you know, a Warner Discovery studio or lot agreement that would then have studio space allotted specifically for their projects? Could that be a future for Batwoman or Naomi or other shows where they were just kind of getting started? Or was this, you know, as you said, uh, an expense of the bean counters going, okay, we're trimming off stuff that isn't a guaranteed success in whatever terms they are. And that could be like, it's not more than one season long or, you know, uh, as short as three. I don't know what the ruling is. You know what I mean? But if there's some sort of like 
metric that they're going by and they're like okay this fits this doesn't this fits this doesn't because we know that the flash lois and superman and a few others are sticking around star girl they're they're sticking with it they're still going to be on cw so clearly there's some kind of like cost-cutting evaluation or formula that led to these decisions but the other part of me is going but is that the decision to just cut or is there a chance that something falling on the cutting room floor one place doesn't mean it's over there still could be a second life somewhere else through hbo max through another do you know what i mean Um, yeah see i was thinking that too but if it's an idea of not wanting to pay for where it's filmed and that makes me think like i don't that that to me, that means it seems like the doors are a l- shut a lot tighter than in the idea of bringing these back. So I don't know. I, I I would love to see that happen. But I think at the very least, you know, and they talked a little bit about this in the article, the fact that, you know, for instance, uh, Legend of Tomorrow kind of ended with a cliffhanger or mm. introducing Mr. Gold and all that. At the very least, for the writers and the fans, they need to figure out a way to continue on to tell a little bit of that story, whether it's in a comic book, like they said, or uh, even an audio play or something. I mean, an audio play would kind of be interesting because maybe the cast could come back in and, you know, still play those roles in like a, a, you know, like an audio play for Audible or something. That would that would kind of be a cool little thing. But they I think they really need to let them continue the story in some fashion, no matter what. I agree. I mean, it took years, but there was some satisfaction uh, when fans of Firefly got a chance to see Serenity. I mean, it wasn't perfect, but it got you there. Right. And it sort of did as much as it could with things that the series would have loved to have covered and explored. But if you can wrap that up a nice little something. And yeah, I, I mean, I would love for it to be something where a couple of the, you know, cast are like, hey, we're going to put this together. We're going to write our own story. <laughs> We're going to do an audio thing. And this one's for the fans, baby. Like, that would be that would be huge. Um, if it happens, guarantee that we will be sharing that update with you. I'm not saying whether or not Brad and I will be pitching ourselves for voices and or script and or I don't know. Mm-hmm. But should that happen, too, you probably won't hear that from us because goodness gracious. <laughs> That's a great secret, man. <laughs> so uh, in the midst of all the this got, this got, this got done, chopped, cut, we do have the announcement that Gotham Knights has been ordered to series at the CW. OK, so some projects are still going forward. And this is where I'm left with the but why this one and not the others? What's the difference maker? You know, uh, is it about the lot space or is there something else? That explains why this project's happening. What did you think about this? Is this a, you know, a glimmer of hope in the midst of all the other disappointments? Yeah, you know, I, I think uh, I think it is. I think that even though Batman's not in it, Batman is like a, an excuse to print money uh, at this point. Far and away the most popular superhero. So I can understand why they would think this would be a more success. And you know, I, I think these business deals and things like that move slower than how the public perceives it. So this show could have been conceived and um, created in a world where this stuff was they knew this stuff was going to be coming and this new stuff was on the horizon. So they knew that maybe they had 
cheaper studio space or, you know, ways to make it, make the show cheaper. And, you know, into another step, maybe, you know, the corporate heads or the, you know, the creatives really liked what they saw story-wise um, in scripts and things like that. So, I, I, but I definitely think that it does uh, give us a beacon of hope. And if it does succeed, if it does get picked up for a second and third season, you know, as far as the production, maybe they can use that as a template making other future CWDC shows or wherever they end up. So, yeah, I think this is a bit of a silver lining on uh, kind of a dark cloud. Uh, and, I, and I'm definitely going to be looking forward to watching it. Uh, what about you? I mean, I'm intrigued with the premise. It's it's something that we've been talking about as the details have come trickling down. And it, like you said, you know, anything Batman related, it's just guaranteed to bring in viewers, cash, advertising, all of the fun stuff that funds projects. Um, I'm interested by the fact that uh, the creative team is that of Batwoman. So the same writers will be coming over from that series, even though it won't be connected to Batwoman in any way. And as you mentioned, was that part of the plan? The idea that one was ending, but this one would be starting. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm curious if in any way that meant anything to the writing team, you know, to, to go from one project that's firing off and just getting started while another one, depending on how much they knew about it continuing or not. Um, I'm also interested by the fact that they make a clear point that this will have very little connection to the game of the same name. So using the Gotham Knights sort of uh, title, but clearly going in a very different direction and how it's made more of a point to, uh, you know, explain the idea of the villains or the children of well-known Batman characters being a part of this. You know, we've we've had some kind of fun with that, with the idea of uh, Bruce Wayne's um, adopted son and the passing of the Cape Crusader and the story that comes from it. It feels like they're really betting on this one being a, a future tale um, Curious to see how it turns out. I'm also curious for the fans who have played the game or familiar with the game are going to be like, oh, there's some things that we pick out in the series, despite them saying they're not connected, if there will be any similarities. Um, but more than anything, I'm going to be curious when it comes on and watching it. Like, So what did this have that the others didn't? Because that's going to be a question now in the back of my mind for any future projects. Why is this going forward when we know that other stuff was canceled? And it'll be interesting to make the comparison. And, and I don't know if that'll offer any insights. What may offer some insights is that there is a Gotham Knights set photo. So it's addendum to our other story, revealing a surprising, as it said, first look at the Batman cowl. Brad, what did you think about this, uh, this surprising glimpse? You know, I like that it was blue. Uh, I'm used to the, <laughs> the black Batman cowl, and seeing the blue was kind of like a flashback to, uh, you know, my early days of getting introduced to the character. Uh, you know, like right after the Neil Adams era, it just kind of felt that vibe, like the the Kenner action figures and things like that. Um, so yeah, that was that was kind of cool i like <laughs> something about it being blue kind of I, I really like that and yeah and the other pictures looked cool too they looked like they're having a lot of fun so um yeah I, i'm really looking forward to the series and i'm hoping that 
you know, that it can ride all this crazy stuff that's going on. It can ride it, ride that wave through it. And uh, we can get, like I said, two, three, maybe four seasons. What about you? Yeah, the blue cow, man. That reminds me so much of how my first introduction to Batman as a kid was the blue gray. Like, that's what I knew, you know, the gray suit with the blue gloves and the blue cow and the blue cape. That that was my introduction. Um, later, of course, you know, the the teenage gritty action kid was like, yeah, yeah, all black or gray and black or stuff like, you know, that that really got me. But um, there is a wonderful nostalgia that I have as soon as I saw that blue cow. And it was like, oh, yeah, I remember coloring in coloring books or wanting to color in them because they had that cool blue gray. And <laughs> it was very cool to me. Uh, still is cool as far as I'm concerned. Now, we do have some other things to uh, look forward to. Some that will be appearing in other sort of media formats. One that I'm excited about just because we've had so much fun recently talking about the upcoming film. Warner Brothers announced that Crypto series is coming to DVD. Um, this was the uh, 2005 animated series. Brad, did you watch this first time around and will this be going in your DVD collection? I did not, but I'm curious to check it out. Uh, I you know, I don't even remember it ever really existing. I guess maybe it just wasn't on my radar because it was, you know, too much of a kid cartoon. But uh, I think it's definitely going to be the summer of crypto with the Legion of Super Pets coming out. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it makes perfect sense to release it on DVD. But it, but it makes me wonder, too, are they going to put it on uh, on HBO Max as well? Uh, I think they I think they should. I think that would make sense, too. Um but yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I, I would I would add this to my collection. What about you? It definitely seems like a perfect addition. And I would imagine that one of the things they're potentially counting on is the uh, the interest and the carryover from the Legion of Super Pets coming up soon to, you know, well, how can you get more crypto? Guess what? We've got the you know previous series collected on DVD. I didn't see it the first time around. And I, I do agree with you. I, I feel like because we've seen things like Death in the Family and other animated projects from DC Warner Brothers um, released on video and then later available on HBO Max, this is something I would expect would show up on HBO Max at some point. I understand they're offering it as DVD first, but I will be looking for it and I will be expecting, hopeful, <laughs> that that's what happens. Although when I was looking through this story, I didn't actually see anything that suggested that that could be happening down the line. So I don't know if I'm projecting, wishful thinking, speaking aloud to the universe, and we'll, we'll see what happens. But uh, I, that would be the smart move, in my opinion, because this would just draw more and more young audiences to that whole DC hub they've got, where they've got so much of the other animated content available on HBO Max. This would be a perfect addition. And if you're going to do the Aquaman series, which I still haven't, you know, wrapped my head completely around, or the fact that it's being renewed, why not have this crypto series on there? Like, come on now. Yeah, yeah. Help it's me out. Perfect Explain place for it. Stuff. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> now, on the more serious side, we do have a uh, high-res photo that's giving a glimpse to Tom Sturridge's Morpheus for the upcoming Netflix The Sandman series. Brad, what did you think about this visual and cues, clues, and the like? 
You, you know, uh, what draws me in most about this picture is the mask um, that he's holding. Uh, it's very, very true to the comics. Uh, his look, not, you know, um, it's hard for me to say because I don't know the context and where this picture, like where in the story this picture is. Um, you know, it, it's, it takes some adjustment to seeing a live action Sandman from the drawings that we're so used to, the super pale kind of, you know, no pupils in the eyes kind of thing, wild hair. This kind of has that look, but a little different. So it's just going to take a little bit getting used to, but I think I can do it. But uh, yeah, I, I think that mask is very true to the comics and that's a good sign. Uh, what about you? I like the the mask. There, there's something very haunting, haunting and kind of gritty in the grotesque, almost macabre sort of feel to it. The idea, you know, that it's this skull taken from a god made into a mask. <laughs> um, I, I do agree with what you're saying about the idea of like, how do you translate what's been so established um, and was extremely consistent in the comics to this, you know, lifelike version in which you're going to get as close as you can to the original material. And then there's going to be some differences. I mean, you, they even say in this article that they make a point of saying, yeah, the, uh, the first season is going to adapt preludes and nocturnes, but it's also going to have even in Gaiman's own words, a little bit more. So a little touch of difference. And the fact that they're extending the time frame that he's held captive from 70 years to 105, placing it in 2021. Um, so those feel like some interesting changes that also offer some ways to add new material. But I also got a really great sense of the, uh, it was the Aliens prequel that they did. It was, I think it was the first one. It started with a P. Uh, Prome Prometheus? Yes. Do you remember this sort of, uh, what's his name, H.R. Geiger sort of design aesthetic that was in Aliens and that yep. you kind of feel from the beginning of Prometheus, even with the, the figures of those kind of master alien figures who create the technology and potentially this like disease. Like, I feel like there's an aesthetic from that that is reflected in that skeleton. And I'm not exactly sure what it is, but there's some point where I was like looking at that in the vertebra. I was like, why do I have heavy vibes from Prometheus? I don't know why. That, that was the other thing I just took from it. And I'm not sure if that has to do with whoever's doing the, um, you know, visual effects or, you know, props and things like that. But that was the other thing that just sort of caught my attention. There was this very stark um, and very detailed, polished feel to the skeleton, you know, like it had been dipped in steel and then polished, you know, almost reminds me of like Predator with the trophy skulls. So it has that trophy kind of feel to it. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Things like that caught my attention a lot. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if, um, you know, and I can't recall the artist who came up with the design, but that Geiger was probably an inspiration. Could have been an inspiration on, you know, even Neil Gaiman in creating this, uh, you know, saying this is what I want it to look like kind of thing. So, yeah, I think that's a good parallel to draw. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I got into it because I had a friend who I knew who wasn't as much of a comics guy, but 
who as a kid, his mom would always send him like all sorts of macabre monster horror, like figurines and <laughs> things like that. Like, you know, the rest of us would get like an action figure or something. And he got like monster such and such, whatever. <laughs> and he later he had a table, coffee table book of Geiger's work. And it was really phenomenal. You could see how much he was the inspiration behind the design aesthetic for aliens and um, how that was such a popular motif late 80s and the early 90s so yeah i could definitely see that gaming was maybe drawing on that and curious to see how that carries over continuing on with our talk about the sandman series is the fact that apparently the creator mr neil gaiman chastised the uh star of the sandman series for being a little too much like batman was it a little too much or just completely too much brad what was your take was this good natured ribbing or was it hey dude don't be batman you know, I've never heard um, that Neil Gaiman was mean or anything like that. So I think it was probably good natured. Uh, and it just makes me, you know, I, my big takeaway from the story is that it really makes me happy that Neil Gaiman is so hands on with this series. Because I think the more hands on he is, the more it's going to feel like his work that we've come to love and it's been so iconic. So, uh, you know, I would say. If you were that actor getting chastised, take it to heart um, because he this is the guy who created this work. Trust him, you know, so I'm just really glad that Neil Gaiman is so involved in bringing this to the to the small screen. So uh, it makes me a little more confident that uh, that it's going to be a good uh, adaption. What about you? I I was really blown away by the fact that um, it was such a clear sort of designation from, as he describes, as the actor describes it, like from the first day, like, come on, it's my first day, literally, like, I just showed up, I'm here to work, let's get this done. And there's the feeling of like, you know, first day, you want to kind of establish a tone, right? And I feel like that was an important recognition from uh, Gaiman. Like, yeah, look, if, if you're going to do this, let's get thing, one thing straight. This is what I'm looking for. Not that. Um, and the fact that one of the problems was he was being a bit too whispery. <laughs> mm. um, so I love this idea of, of then the... Oops, sorry, my dog decided at this moment to try and knock over my microphone. Because, well... <laughs> You know, they're not comfortable, and until they are, you're going to deal. So I caught it. There, there could have been a lot of clattering, but we caught it. Um, this idea of how important he saw the dialogue being, how you described the importance of him being there because it's such a passion project and how much he wanted to get this right. And then also, I love the instruction. Um, imagine and consider that everything you say it's been it's been etched in stone, never improvising awareness of everything that has occurred before every thought you've ever had dream like that's a really great way. It, it almost sounds like ancient, ageless and tired like this is the way it's always been. It's always going to be, you know what I mean? This sort yeah. of feeling yeah. of just like. I don't know what else to tell you. This is how it is. I could explain it again, but clearly I've just done so much. <laughs> so I, I love that that presentation of it. And and I love the uh, the care, you know, that Gaiman describes of like 
yeah, people could have a great script. There could be all of this stuff that I've followed all the way through and I've agreed and agreed and agreed. And then we get to the dialogue and that's where he was just still always picking, always playing, always trying to do more. That attention to detail, I think, is really going to make the difference when uh, when we get a chance to see this when it airs. And I think it's going to be a lot of fun for everybody, you know, just to sort of see there's what you thought you were reading when you were reading the books and there's the way it sounded in his head. And I think we're going to get to hear what that sounds like. You know, that's going to be one of the, think, uh, the biggest establishments at that point, because, you know, in my mind, at least that, that once I experience that, then there'll be sure you've got the McAvoy version, but you'll also have going back to read and which voice will be in your head when you're reading the books. What tone will you hear when you're reading it after that? So that's it's kind of a fun thought experiment for me. Another one that I'm going to offer to you is your own thought experiment as we go away to a quick ad break and then come on back for some comic news for you. So which voice will you hear from Morpheus while uh, you're reading Sandman? Hmm? Let us know afterwards. Can't wait to hear. We'll be right back after these quick words. First. There was the DC Comics News Podcast. Then came the Spinner Rack. And now, the third show brought to you by the guys that brought you all that other stuff I just mentioned. I Am The Night. A story about the stories. A show celebrating Batman, the animated series. Week by week, episode by episode. Just when you thought it was safe to put on a pair of headphones, I am the night. Hello, listeners. This is Tony Farina from DC Comics News and an occasional guest on Comics in Motion. I'm pleased to announce a new show called Indie Comics Spotlight. Each week, my guests and I will be taking a deep dive into a current title or a classic graphic novel from a publisher other than the big two. Consider this show the best of the rest. My hope is that we'll bring new readers to independent comics and give old readers a chance to share their thoughts. Join me each week in the Comics in Motion feed in your favorite podcast catcher. Why, hello there. I'm Seth Singleton, and I'm here to tell you about Mad Pup, a Harley Quinn cast. Harley Quinn? Harley f***ing Quinn? What have we learned from this crazy show? Making bat shark repellent relevant since 1966. Oh, look, Gogurt. And we've gone completely off the rails. I hear the bat signal. Shut up and bat them, nuts. I definitely do not f*** bat. In need of an adult-sized nemesis. Humans make good fertilizer. You can't f*** with Lois Lane. For f***'s sake. I'm a damn good cop. A lot of lasers. Mmm. Educational and informative. The DC Comics News Podcast Network presents Mad Love, the Harley Quinn cast. (laughs) Back to you, Seth. So, tell us your thoughts. We'd love to hear from everyone out there. Or not. That's really up to all of you. F***ers. Did it seem like I just went away? Because we're back. That's right ad break faster than ever quicker than you can imagine and if your imagination's that quick well time to make it faster because we've got so much more to charge it along 
so many interesting stories all up next in our comics news you're listening to dc comics news weekly podcast episode number 160 i'm your host seth singleton joined by the brilliant mr brad felicki we're talking about the human target attempting to solve yet another mystery it's in an upcoming dc black label one shot Whew. brad what do you think about all that and what can you tell us oh man you had me at tom king um you know <laughs> uh I, I, I like the Human Target series that he did this year, uh, so I like that he's continuing on. Uh, the premise is kind of cool, uh, finding out who poisoned Lex Luthor, and he teams up with the Justice League International. Justice League International was easily one of my favorite comics of the 80s, so I love those characters, and I love that uh, he's going to interact with them. Uh, so I'm all for this. Uh, and... Although, you know, it's kind of an anthology almost because he's using a lot of different artists. So you have a black label book uh, and and kind of an anthology, which are two of the things that DC is really good at. So, yeah, I think um, it's definitely going to be on my um, my poll list. What about you? Yeah, I'm, I'm really intrigued by this approach. You know, we know that the series is on a hiatus. We're not going to get more of that story until September. But in the meantime, somehow in the middle <laughs> this summer, we get the chance to have an anthology series. It's Tom King, you know, partnering up with uh, with a collection of artists and this anthology series of stories, you know, going into the, uh, the poison issue and uh, bringing in the JLI. I mean, we, we've had a lot of fun with that so far. The series has been pretty amazing. And as you said, Brad, he he pretty much had me at Tom King. So Tom King, if you say Tom King, you pretty much have me and I will buy what you write and we'll all be happy because I'll enjoy it and you'll get the money. And it's a good life, right? DC, bring us more Tom King. Just Just do it. I don't know what else to tell you. All right. Except we're moving on to our next story because, well, we've always got a little more in store for you because we like to keep you always on your toes for new things coming your way. And uh, among those new things, Grifter and The Resistance are both back coming up in August. Flashpoint Beyond number four. Brad, what do you think about the uh, return of Grifter and Resistance? Yeah, it's cool. You know, I, it was fun seeing Grifter come back, um, you know, during Fear State in the Batman books. But having him come back with the Resistance uh, is really cool, especially in terms of a Flashpoint and beyond, because uh, Grifter did take a did play a part in the first Flashpoint, so it's, it makes sense that they're going to bring him back in this story. Uh, you know, and, and and so far, I've really liked what we've gotten with this new Flashpoint. Uh, you know, Jeff Johns is doing a really good job, so I, I uh, I'm pretty sure that that's going to continue with this. So yeah, this is one that I'm looking forward to. What about you? Yeah, I think this is going to be a great one. I'm I'm a big fan of the covers. Really, some yeah. cool stuff. The original, the variant, um, and I like the way that we had Cash brought in back with the Fear State storyline. You know, he was definitely an annoying character. <laughs> he was like no problem being as good as he was and getting in people's way and causing a bit of ruckus. Uh, I think bringing that back around is, is just going to keep the tension always kind of sharp and the feeling of this guy's completely unpredictable. And whenever he's around, you know, stuff's going to get 
you know, messy and blow up. So <laughs> I think, uh, I think it's a great development. And as you pointed out, part of the original flashpoint, great to have him back, uh, in the flashpoint beyond. And, you know, Jeff Johns is one of those, one of those storytellers, man, one of those writers and creators who, uh, has done it enough and done it well. And, uh, anytime he's got another project coming, it's like, all right, bring the magic, man. We know you can do it. So looking forward to seeing that magic on display in Flashpoint Beyond number four. Also, uh, if you're looking for something very different on a classic or a different take on a classic, uh, however you want to spin it, simply put Red Hood and Kyle Rayner and Jon Stewart. They're all very, very different and reimagined in the upcoming Worlds without Justice League, Green Lantern. Brad, what did you think of these uh, new takes on some classic characters? Yeah, I'm a John Stewart fan, so I'm all about him coming back. Uh, and the idea of Red Hood being Green Lantern powered, that's kind of a, a, an interesting take. Uh, it, and I like it because I, you know, if I was thinking of what character would be cool if they had a, you know, if they were powered by a green lantern ring, Jason Todd wouldn't necessarily be at the top of my list. So that always makes me curious on how, you know, how the writer's going to approach it. So, uh, you know, that's kind of looking forward to that. And the idea of Kyle Rayner as a blind prophet, that seems interesting too. So, yeah, I, I think that, um, that all these world without justice league specials and dark crisis, itself is going to bring a lot of surprises and you know maybe even tie up some some loose ends that have been dangling around the dc universe uh you know and if nothing else we get these cool little side stories so yeah this could be interesting what about you yeah i definitely think this is going to be interesting uh john stewart is an emerald knight uh, the Blind Prophet, Kyle Rayner, Green Lantern, Red Hood. Yeah, that's not one I usually think of when it's like, wow, who would have a ring and what would it be like? That's not a combination. Plus, you've got a backup story with uh, Hawkgirl. Um, you've got Philip Kennedy Johnson on this, who he he pretty much guaranteed things for me with The Last God. And what he's done with uh, action has just been ridiculous. So I feel very confident about uh what we can expect from this. And then, you know, you look at the other ones and you've got everybody else who's a marquee name, you know, Tom King and Chris Burnham, uh, Teenie Howard, Leela Del Duca. I mean, for each one of these projects, you've yep. got, you know, big names. And uh, and that's that's included with like all the backup stories. You know, you've got amazing talent on every single one of these in the main story, in the backups. It's going to be a lot of fun, and I love when there's fresh takes. I love seeing, like, I remember when they did the Amalgam one years ago. That was so much fun. So I love it when they take what we know and give us little Elseworlds, and uh, that's always a good time for me. So I think uh, while we're waiting for the Justice League to recover from Death of the Justice League, Dark Crisis, all those things, these World Without Justice League stories are a nice, a nice fill-in, shall we? Yeah, like... It's nice. Yeah, I'm going to say nice. Um, <laughs> we also have a new preview from uh, Batman new writer Chip Zdarsky on the uh, Dark Knight series that he has. Brad, what did you think about this glimpse ahead? Batman number 125. Oh, uh, man. 
I I don't want any. I admit that you know. So we got you know this the story has sample pages from the actual book, but I didn't really read the dialogue because I kind of want to be a little bit surprised. But man, the art, uh, Jorge Jimenez is just an amazing job. This feels so very much Batman, uh, very cinematic. Uh, I I just I love the art. Especially that little last picture of Batman on the page where he's grabbing the 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 criminal uh, the look on his face. That's that's just that's just pure Batman. I just I, I love the art. What about you? It's phenomenal. I agree with you. Like as reading through it, I tried not to dwell too much on the the dialogue and the sort of story set up. But there's a couple of moments that feel like they. They have all that, as you described it, great cinematic quality to them. You know, Batman rushing towards the reader, a hand reaching out from the page from the reader's perspective. Uh, what feels like something of a murder mystery, I don't know, locked room sort of possibility. Um, and then that that great growling snarl, who are you, who sent you? <laughs> that's, mm-hmm. that's some classic Batman stuff right there. And a mystery. That's, I mean... There's a reason why we love his detective skills. There's a reason why we love watching him sort of put together all of the pieces. And also, I love that this is a Batman haunted by dreams of a dark future. Dark futures have been something he's been kind of fighting against in storylines for the past year. So I love the idea of taking that motif and saying, what if that's part of, you know, what it's like to be Batman? You're constantly facing these threats of dark possibilities on the horizon. You've kind of seen the worst of and you're predicting or considering just how much worse it could get uh what a haunting idea you know (laughs) especially for someone who's seen some of the worst and fought some of the worst great stuff great potential also love that um we've got some gender swapped team justice getting their own trading card primers brad what did you think about this uh reveal and uh story that goes along with it uh, yeah, there's something about these costumes uh, that feel very 90s to me, uh, and I like it. I like the whole presentation on these ca- these trading cards. It's like halfway between like 90s inspired and some of the YA graphic novels that DC's put out over the past few years. It was like a nice combo of those. I really, I, I think my favorite is the Robin. Uh, I, I really, I really dig the hair. Um, yeah, I, I, uh, I like it. Uh, this makes me curious to check out more about what this, what the series is going to be all about. Uh, what about you? Yeah, it's a great twist in, in the way that they're presented. Cause you, there's a lot of fun to enjoy there, the, the kid quick one. And I do agree with the 90s approach that you mentioned. You know, there is an homage feeling to it. Kind of reminds me of those DC collectible cars that they had back in the 90s. Um, I like the uh, the versions of the characters, you know, the way they're presented. Uh, Jackie Hyde for Aqua Girl, uh, Clary Ann. Uh, instead of Clary and the Witch Boy, but instead we have Clary and the Witch Girl. And I like the style and the approach. Um, 
Supergirl's kind of fun for me with the flex and like the short sleeve kind of tank top style. <laughs> and the Robin one you totally had with the hair. Yeah, definitely. That was a lot of fun. I also got a kick out of the the Raven approach. There was something cool about the sleeveless hoodie and it's a it's a really it's really one of those fun ideas where you're like, I never would have thought of it. And maybe if I did, I never would have thought of it like that. And getting a chance to see that you know, very clear artistic vision in all of these. It, it's a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, what else we can enjoy uh, <laughs> coming our way. Like, what other cars can we expect? And, uh, you know, what does this mean for uh, other possibilities in the future? What other characters can we see have a gender swap and get an entirely new sort of appearance because of that? I also uh, am excited that we get a uh, DC Webtoon nyc first look for vixen what did you think about this uh quick lens and all the things it, it holds in store yeah you know i've i've talked on this podcast about how um i'm not a huge fan of digital comics uh there's something about it that just doesn't feel as good as having the book in your hand and I've been meaning to check out what this whole Webtoon thing was because I knew that they were going to have DC content and I haven't had a chance. So this was almost, in a way, my first introduction to the presentation of how the Webtoons does it. And it really feels natural because it's it's told like you're scrolling, like the way you're scrolling through a newsfeed or something like that. It flows like that instead of left to right it's up and down and it flows really well so i, I that was my my quote my, my biggest takeaway from this is how the presentation really really works so this makes me really more excited for this and i think i'm gonna have to go check out the um the batman series that's uh, that's on there uh yeah it's just a kind of an interesting new approach to comic storytelling what about you I'm intrigued. I actually recently had a meeting with a client who was asking me about Webtoon. And I said, well, I've heard about it recently, but I'm not familiar with it. So um, I'm intrigued to do a little peeking around myself. Um, I haven't had a chance to see the Batman Wayne family adventures on there, but I'm, I'm curious to see what that looks like. And then I'm interested in your perspective on this idea of, you know, if you're looking for a possible you know, uh, gateway into digital comics, the scrolling approach that they offer here might be a, a really enjoyable start curious to see if that uh plays out or pans out but uh it looks like there's also you know just some really gorgeous art that goes with it i was enraptured from the moment i started reading i was like oh this is really fun and the tapestry approach i think works really well for the narrative style like it feels like it's a tale being told and uh, the art matches well with it. The scrolling approach matches well with it. And if this is how Webtoon does it, uh, I think they might really have a, you know, kind of gold standard approach that others can consider following and, and might be a way to uh, bridge the gap between traditional comics and digital. I completely agree. There's nothing like holding the book in your hand, the pages. The hardest thing for me is traveling with that stuff because I don't want to ruin it. <laughs> and I want a way to access it while I'm on a plane or something. So that's where digital is sometimes come into play for me. It's either that or buy a reader copy you just don't care about. But then I feel like those still fall apart because travel just beats things up. It just does. So I'll be interested to see if this is a way to you look. You have something to add there, Brad? 
Oh, no, no, no. no. Okay. <laughs> I, just I, I thought I was queuing you up for like a travel story about a famous <laughs> or a favorite book. Or something. I was like, oh, Brad, tell me I didn't get into Dude, this one time I had a book and because uh, that could be. Yeah, I, I, I'm bad about taking books on when I travel. I, I tend to pack the physical books. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. I'd see the crease afterwards and be like, could have been better if you just left it at home. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> now we do have uh, some fun stuff to consider for those looking for yet another way to uh, enjoy the upcoming Black Adam movie, and that is a tie-in comic giving what is considered to be the best look yet at Cyclone's costume. Brad, did you get the better look? Did this fill in some gaps, explain some things about Cyclone costume, things like that for you? Or? Yeah, I think the costume's going to look, yeah, I, I think I get a clear picture of what the costume's going to look like in the film. I think uh, uh, who, who did the cover art, but they, they did really capture, well, I can almost picture in my mind what it's going to look like uh, on screen. And I, I think that these kind of lead-up one-shots are going to be good for people who might not be familiar with these characters before going into the movie. So, you know, hopefully, you know, maybe some people who are interested in Black Adam will come into comic shops to pick these up. So I think it's going to be helpful. Uh, um, but yeah, overall, I, I, I like the costume. I, <laughs> I've always been a fan of the combo of purple and green. I used to, one of my favorite going out to dinner outfits when I was in high school was my purple Chuck Taylors and a green sweater, so and black pants. So I, uh, <laughs> I, yeah. I always steal the the purple and the green together. So that alone has my approval. <laughs> what about you? <laughs> well, yeah, and if you're channeling your inner Joker, like you're kind of gold with purple and green, right? Like you know what I mean? Like you, you're there, baby. You're there. You have your money and you don't even know it to uh, date myself extremely well. Um, <laughs> I, I think it's a great costume. I think it does give you know a, a great glimpse as to what we can expect from the upcoming movie. I think these one shots are a great way to kind of highlight these characters that fans might know, fans might not as be as familiar with. You know, that there are gonna be some that I, I feel they're gonna know better, like Hawkman by comparison, Cyclone. Um, I don't remember having as much fanfare and getting to sort of know who this character is and how that can better inform your experience with the movie is just it makes all the sense in the world and it's just a great addendum because it feels like after you get a chance to see a great movie you always want to sort of enjoy the universe a little bit more so these great spin-offs are such a perfect way to to give fans just that that little bit more of what they've already enjoyed and uh yeah you've got a a great team working on the project and i think overall you know really smart approach um we do have a couple of other news stories for you that we wanted to share because we get movie tv streaming and comics but then there's that stuff that falls outside of that and it can be as much fun if not more sometimes in some of our main category stories the first one in our other news is a gotham knights only pc and next gen consoles so gotham knights will only be released on pc and next gen consoles brad you're sort of you and Steve are kind of my go-to's when it comes to the gaming community. What what does this mean exactly? You know, for those who enjoy well, games? Uh, you know, it means that if you want to play this game and you're expecting to play it on the PS4, you're 
or the uh, Xbox One, you're going to be out of luck. You're going to have to have to get the PS5 or the um, Xbox Series X. Uh, you know, um, it kind of bumps me out because I, I haven't I, I still haven't picked up any of the next gen yet because all the games that have come out, I've still been able to play. And for me, they've run fine. So I have no complaints. So I've been, you know, I, I haven't run to jump to get one of those new consoles yet. And because of the supply chain issues and all that, they were really hard to get your hands on. But now now that's getting a little easier to do. So I, I think this is going to be um, a hint of things to come. I think this might be the first big game that says, OK, we're, we're only going next gen. Now, you know, uh, it, it's funny because a lot of, you know, some of the video game podcasts I listened to, this was a story that they covered as well. And, you know, there was there was kind of um, a feeling that the game kind of, you know, the, the what they've shown in the game so far looked kind of um, like, it was made for a PS4. It didn't look next gen. So it was surprising to a lot of people that that it was only coming out for these consoles because it looked like it was made for, you know, the last gen consoles. So it makes me wonder if they're going to try to up the graphics at all. Um, but these, you know, these, even though this isn't particularly an Arkham game, it's definitely a spiritual successor and it's definitely... The gameplay looks like it's kind of similar. So, and I love those games so much. This, for me, this would be a game that would make me want to uh, to get that next gen. So I, I guess I'm going to have to pull that trigger eventually because I'm really wanting to, I'm really wanting to play this game. So, um, yeah, it's, you know, I... Uh, it's a little bit of a mixed bag, especially if they're not going to up the graphics and just put it out for the next gen as is. Um, so anyway, that's 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 my thoughts on it. What about you? <laughs> I appreciate it, man. It helps to know because I think that's been one of the big challenges right now. It's like, okay, so what are we going to do with this stuff? You know, uh, where's it going to be available? Okay, I got dogs on the move, so I can't be responsible for any noises at this point. Um, it's simply happening. I was even like, can I help? Nope. Okay. Um, yeah, I wondered, you know, is is this the game that that kind of forces people to make the next jump, you know, to go to the next technology, the next gen stuff? Because up until now, there have been speculation. Will it be available on the uh, the PS4? Will it be on the Xbox One? And now we know that it's not. And you mentioned, you know, you hadn't made that leap yet because you could still enjoy all the great titles you enjoy up to this point on your current versions. But if you want to enjoy this game, it sounds like this is going to be kind of the make or break for a lot of people. Like they weren't going to, but now if you want to play this game, you got to pull the trigger, which means going all the way, right? <laughs> um, so I loved hearing your insights because I wondered, you know, from a from a game player's perspective, from a fan of the the Arkham games and other titles, you know, what's what kind of compels you to be like okay i guess i gotta do it and it sounds like this is the game that that does it the straw right that uh <laughs> for me yes yeah because i love the the other arkham games you know so much uh that that would definitely be something that would make me want to get the new consoles for sure 
Gotcha. Nope, totally understood. Um, and our next story is another one where I'm relying deeply on you. Uh, um, it's a demo from Gotham Knights showing Nightwing and Red Hood in gameplay. What, what did you think of this? Was this sort of uh, the, the content you were referencing when you were saying it, it looked like it was being shown on an older style and, and that's why you thought maybe it would be available on the PS4 and Xbox One? Well, uh, no, no. Um, this was, I, I think that the footage that they were talking about, this was the stuff that was, you know, shown at like Fandom and they may have shown it at, a, at E3 last year, uh, but it was kind of like the previous stuff. This, I think, was was newer stuff and it looks great. Um, you know, I it, it's funny because they, they did mention, thankfully, that you can play it solo. I don't want to have to be stuck. I, I like... For me, when I like the game, I like uh, a good personal one-player experience. I'm not, I, I don't need to have a bunch of angry teenagers yelling in my ear. You know, I just, that's not fun for me. So I I, I appreciate that you can play it solo. Um, and judging the gameplay, personally, you know, it looks like Nightwing has like a glider. And I find gliders kind of hard to maneuver the physics behind the gliders and gameplay is a little tricky so i think i'd be more inclined to play the red hoods bouncing around because in these games how you transverse the map is very important to how you play and how you progress so i i i think from judging this video i would go with red hood personally and i like the idea of kind of the back cave being where you can uh access the map and your journal and things like that i think that's a a, a neat little twist and a cool way to uh integrate some of that batman lore into the game in a practical way uh and i you know i i personally i don't I don't have a problem with the graphics. I know there were some people that were complaining about it. Like I said, they were thinking it's too last gen, but I, I thought, I thought they looked, looked great. I think the Gotham city, the, the color scheme is really cool. And uh, yeah, I, I, I'm on board. So, uh, you know, I, 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 and I think this, another thing is I think this, this, video is going to clear things up for people and how you know there was certain uncertainty on how the game was going to be played things like this and i think this cleared a lot of things up so uh i i think maybe this video being released is going to up the hype for the game uh, what about you well, I mean, the cool thing about the video is like 13 minutes long with like some breakdowns yep. from the creator and, you know, the, the team behind it and also some breakdowns of like how things work. And uh, yeah, I, I noticed what you said about the glider. It also seems like there's like a glider that he hangs from. And then later there's like a kind of a uh, I can't think of even but almost like a hang glider approach that's more of like body mounted. Um, so it looks like there's like a, an upgrade later or something like that. And then the stuff you were mentioning about the, uh, uh you know, cave, I think is a really cool approach to having like, that's where you keep all your notes and there's this mystery. And I love the interactions watching, uh, Nightwing fight Talon or no Red Hood fight Talon and some other, or at least a member of the court of owls, one of the Talons, I don't know if it's the Talon, but just little stuff like that was really cool to kind of check out. Um, it, it, from my very unfamiliar non-game playing 
perspective, it looked really good. So I was kind of like, okay, this looks cool. I can definitely see that there's going to be some interest. I did notice some fan comments and thanks for sort of giving, you know, um, some insights as to like those who are like, yeah, it looks too much old gen, you know, for you, it, it worked and all the things that it was doing. Um, and that gave me just a, a different context for that. Cause I was like, I, I don't know what the last gen looked like. Brad, help me, Brad, Brad, please. Brad, without you, I, I help me. <laughs> um, there's also a Gotham Knights uh, collector's edition that's been revealed. Did you have any thoughts on this? And uh, you know, well, to me, we yeah, I, I think it's cool that they have like a map and certain in-game content. Um, I, I I don't go for these because I just I, I just don't have the space for little Chotskys and things like that. I. I gotta like cut something out. That's why I don't really collect the toys, you know. So I, I would go with the standard edition, but this edition is really cool to live vicariously for people who love these things. And I think that they'll, those little figurines are really cool. So I think that for people who like that stuff, I think that they're gonna get a lot of bang for their buck with this. So um, I, I, yeah, I, I think this is gonna be a, a pretty popular thing. What about you? Yeah, I think it will, too. It, it kind of reminds me of, like, uh, oh, I definitely have a growling, snarling, playful dog down there. Hi, Fiji. That's my girl. Um, <laughs> for everyone, you know, she's fine. She's just getting her yayas out sometimes. If you have a dog and you've ever seen them roll on their back and do the growly, snarling thing, you know what I'm talking about. And if you don't, use your imagination. Who knows? Maybe she's fighting, I don't know, some sort of, like, terrible monster and keeping us safe. Use your imagination. Regarding the collector's edition, for me, it reminds me a little bit of like when they would come out with band boxes back in like the 90s and in the early 2000s. And it would be like the box kit that you would get. It would be like right around Christmas time. And it would be like you can get the album plus the liner notes plus sign stuff. And that stuff was always cool. But like you said, like keeping track of it all, either you display it all or you keep it all in the box. And you take it out and kind of look at it and you put it all back away. Um, because otherwise you don't have the space um, <laughs> and you're worried about it getting lost, messed up, damaged. So I feel yeah. like if you're one of those who likes that kind of thing, this is perfect. It just, you know, it, it's like it's getting the extra scoop of icing or whatever else you're looking for that sort of just gives you more. Um, and there's a lot of cool stuff in there. Statue, Jim Lee Certificate on Authenticity, uh, an AR Talon key, the maps, as you mentioned, like, Hey, if you're looking to really, you know, get it all you can out of this, this definitely seems like as close as you can get to all you can, at least at the time being. Who knows? There could be more stuff in the future. I can't tell the future. Otherwise, I would have won a few lotteries. Just a couple. Two. We were just talking about the uh, collector's edition. We have the uh, the new date going with it, and we also have in our final story for the other section some McFarland news. We have a new Page Punchers toy line. Brad, Page Punchers. Right? I mean, can you resist? And if you can, do we need to worry about others who simply can't resist? And this will be a rabbit hole. They'll simply never find their way back. Uh, I. I love these. You know, we, we always talk about, you know, the McFarlane toys, how how amazingly they're sculpted. But, you know, they're made for display. They're not made to play with. 
these these toys are definitely made to play with and they are like the exact kind of action figures that got me into all this stuff when i was a kid they're the three inch like which is like you know i talked about the kenner batman figure before it's about that same size and uh it just it's like it's like looking at pieces of my childhood with looking at these and it comes with a reprint of the the comic it's oh man if i was young again uh i would be all over this this is um yeah this is like what i grew up with i just i, I love everything about it uh and i hope you know like i said i don't really collect toys but i hope they make more just so i can live vicariously through the kids who pick these up and who want to play with them it's just and i you know it's always cool when mcfarland can come out with something that you can actually play with you know and i think that um i, I think these are going to fly off the shelves especially for older collectors who remember what these figures were like back in the day uh what about you definitely see them flying off the shelves definitely see myself living vicariously definitely see that if i had these i would then get one of those fancy cameras and do all that like instagram posing stuff that i see people do where it's like action scenes with the figure because <laughs> yeah. these are figures that can do that and like you said they're meant to be played with like you know they they uh they give you something to actually enjoy instead of just putting on a shelf and going wow look how great that looks don't touch it don't breathe on it keep it hermetically sealed um with these you know it's kind of like let's let's have some fun and yeah man i mean the joy of uh lost youth <laughs> always looking back and going oh man i had some fun didn't i i did so live vicariously go ahead and pick up the uh new page punchers toy line get your uh emerging fan your young fan something to uh add to their collection a little something that they can actually like enjoy like physically handle and play with and in the meantime find yourself transported back to your youth when those were some great toys that uh you could play with that's that's it folks that's our final story this has been episode number 160 of the dc comics news weekly podcast um i've been your host seth singleton i've been joined by the amazing brad flicky who has said so many wondrous words of wisdom should you need to find him follow up or just wish to hear more brad where can the good people in the world find you uh, you can find me writing news reviews at dccomicsnews.com. Uh, you can find me also on the Mad Love Harley Quinn podcast, part of the DC Comics News Podcast Network. And where can people find you? Yeah, you can find me hanging out here with the gang, doing the podcast. Um, catch me writing reviews for DC Comics News. And I'm just kind of out there. Like, you know, mostly look for me here. And if you find me here... You can maybe find me other places, but I like that to be a little bit of fun for you. Because if you're not really looking, don't worry about it. And if you are, say hey when you come find me. It's just that easy. Just as it is that easy to make sure you never miss out on future episodes of the DC Comics News Podcast Network, the weekly podcast, episode-by-episode uh, episode shows like I Am the Night, the Batman animated the series breakdown, as well as the Mad Love Harley Quinn episode by episode series we also have wonderful stuff in store just around the horizon so 
Make sure you have hit subscribe on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. This way you can get all of the stuff we've already done. And as we've mentioned, some wild possibilities in the future you won't want to miss out on. Make sure you're subscribed so you can be the first to get the newest and then the next. And then, of course, should you have any thoughts, questions, comments you would love to send to the entire team, go ahead and find us on your favorite social media platforms. Just use the at symbol. That's our handle. DC Comics News, capital D, capital C, capital C-O-M-I-C-S, capital N-E-W-S, DC Comics News handle. Send us a message. Let us know what you're thinking. We'd love to hear your thoughts, your questions, and just have a great conversation about all the stuff that we talk about, i.e. DC Comics related. And with that, there's only one more thing we'd love to leave you with before the next time we get the chance to come and hang out with you, and that is to always read more comics comics <laughs> hell yeah oh brad thanks for always making this so much fun man can't wait to see you on the other side